Welcome to Chasing Shadows on KXRW. I am uh, Josh Croker. I'm joined by my co-host today, Eric McLean and Robert Bain. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Morning. Morning, everybody. I'm doing good. Doing good. I'm uh, ready to talk about the Holy Grail today. That's where we're going. For those those who are just tuning in for the first time, uh, we are a radio show and podcast where we talk about supernatural, paranormal, and otherwise mysterious topics where we look for good evidence of them and try and find out if there's anything that points us in the direction of things that are worth more attention than others. And uh, today we are starting our talk about the Holy Grail. I said we're starting because we'll probably end up doing more episodes on this, but it's a big topic and uh, has been... Uh, thrown around a lot lately, well, really in the past like couple decades, because mainly because of the Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. So the Da Vinci Code is actually going to be where our main focus is today, and that is because it kind of uh, took over the Holy Grail topic and said, this is what the Holy Grail is about, and um, there are some things that it built off of that were kind of the first ones to make that claim. So we're going to explore that as a topic today. Um, I think... That's going to be our, our question specifically. Uh, even on its own, uh, the Da Vinci Code and the story that it's based off of is, can can fill a lot of time talking about that topic. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of research on that one, so we could fill a lot of time talking about it. But we're going to stick to the Da Vinci Code specifically. And I think with the question we're going to ask today is, is there any evidence that Leonardo da Vinci put a code or you know encrypted message into his paintings to lead us to a treasure or treasure map? And that, that'll be the specific one we're asking today, because that's kind of uh, the, the story of the Da Vinci Code and um, where it comes from. So that's that's our topic today. That's uh, what we're going to get into. Um, first, before we do that, I'm going to do uh, one of our weekly shadows, one of our uh, mm. topics where we kind of look at something that's been going on in the news with the paranormal. And this one is about Bigfoot. Uh-oh. Yeah, Uh-oh. we haven't Big revisited the Big Hairy Guy. We haven't, we haven't revisited Bigfoot much since our first episodes. We talked about it a little bit, but... Um, this one is about Bigfoot and the FBI. They released some of their files, the FBI files on Bigfoot. Now, that sounds pretty cool. It's not as cool as it sounds, but basically what happened is there was a guy who claimed that he found uh, some hair, uh, and this was uh, like Hood River Valley. He, it was in Fur Mountain, a tiny summit on the east side of Hood River Valley, and uh, the guy who found it, his name was Peter Byrne, and he submitted it to the FBI. He thought, this is good stuff. It's evidence of Bigfoot. I'm sending it in. That way they can DNA test it and do all, all their testing on it to see. And those files are what were released. And that was kind of a, a you know new, newsworthy story in the paranormal world. And uh, you know in terms of Peter Byrne, he never heard back and uh, until now. And what uh, the FBI released is Dremel. It's deer hair. Wow, it wasn't deer. Bigfoot hair. Wow, so. wow, Peter wow. Byrne would a burn. Peter Byrne would a burn. Yep. So that was the uh, that was our our Bigfoot uh, news story that came out is yeah. that there was a lack of evidence. Which, hey guys, that uh, kind of lines up with our uh, our um, result of our episodes mm-hmm. that we didn't really see any good evidence that that told us we should believe in Bigfoot. So uh, we continue to not really have any good evidence, including hair testing. Keep chasing yeah. the shadows. We love the lore, but yeah, that's it's our uh, what, what what do we call it a uh, cultural phenomenon? Yeah. No, we had a term for it. It was cultural le- cultural legends. Yeah, it was a cultural, cultural legend. Bigfoot's our cultural legend, especially here in the Pacific. Especially Northwest. here in the Northwest, it's definitely them. a big one. Um, so, but the FBI says no, no Bigfoot. Oh, so, boy. 
Crushing dreams. Cr- crushing dreams. So that's our weekly shadow. That's we a uh, little segment we do where we talk about uh, other topics that are uh, apart from our main topics and uh, where we revisit old things where we might have an update or something new that we could look at. So to jump back into our topic today, The Da Vinci Code. This was... Uh, it was a book first. It was by Dan Brown. It ignited the mainstream. It ignited. So Dan um, Brown was already intrigued. popular before that, but he wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code. And for those of you who have not heard of The Da Vinci Code uh, or do not know the story of The Da Vinci Code, basically what it is is there, uh, there is a character in the book. He is a professor of symbology. I think it's Harvard, maybe, but it's a pretty prestigious school, wherever it is, uh, in this fictional character's life. And he is charged with helping solve a murder. There was uh, the, uh, I want to say the um, head guy at the Louvre was killed. And uh, he had some symbolism etched into his chest mm-hmm. and used blood and all that stuff. And uh, so they tasked him with uh, trying to figure out the murder of that. And what ends up happening is that the man who was killed... Uh, was leaving them hints and clues in order to help them find something that he was protecting, which was information that he had been in charge of and uh, was tasked with uh, keeping safe, but also keeping hidden. And so basically what they do, uh, to give a little rundown here, Robert, I don't think you were very familiar with this. We'll give a, no. give a little rundown of... Uh... <laughs> I watched part of the movie, The Da Vinci Code, but right, I haven't right. seen the whole thing yet. So. Okay, okay. So we'll give a little, little Robert rundown spoilers. here. Yeah, just a quick little Robert rundown. Right? It's it. the Robert rundown, rundown. right? Boom, so, boom, 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 boom. so uh, <laughs> the Da Vinci Code in a nutshell, uh, Robert Langdon goes to Paris. Uh, he is approached by the... French FBI, Uh they say, come help us solve this murder. This other police lady comes and basically tells him, hey, this FBI actually wants us to uh, investigate you. We think you killed him because the guy said your name. Um, They find out that he was actually leading them to a Da Vinci painting. They go, and on the painting, there's something written in like a a blacklight pen, I guess. Yeah, invisible ink, and that's on the Mona Lisa. That leads them to another painting where they find a key. That leads them to another thing where they have to solve a puzzle to get out a riddle from that. Um, that so, was the, like vinegar. And yeah, the cryptex. Yeah, that's the cryptex. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh, after they do that, they need some help. So they go to Ian McKellen, who plays Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm-hmm. They say, "We need your help figuring this out." Uh, they all go together. They've got some more clues to try and figure it out. They find a riddle on their little box. Takes them to Isaac Newton's tomb. Turns out Ian McKellen was a bad guy the whole time. Uh, spoiler here. Turns out Ian McKellen was a bad guy the whole time and uh, was basically trying to out the people that uh, were holding this information. There's a big uh, little fight scene at the end. Uh, Ian McKellen gets taken to jail. And then at the end, Robert Langdon actually figures out all the clues, which leads him to uh, Mary Magdalene. Mm. And that's what the kind of underlying story of the Da Vinci Code is, yeah. is that this information that they were hiding and trying to find the whole time is that Mary Magdalene was actually a person who was married to Jesus and that they had children, and those children went on to live and have descendants into modern that day. That was the bloodline, right? That was the bloodline, yeah. exactly. So that is the, the rundown of the Da Vinci Code, okay. is that there's a secret information they're looking for the whole time. There's other people trying to find it, and um, that's how they end up uh, you know, going on this chase through Europe on uh, you know, trying to figure out what this hidden, this hidden info is. So that's the Da Vinci Code. This now, t- just just like to give context to that, that's a fictional story. Yeah, it's a totally fictional story. Dan Brown makes 
like suspenseful thrillers and he uses some historical uh, context to add, you know, mystery and intrigue to his stories. And that's what happened in the Da Vinci Code. So he took this theory that was put forward back in the 80s and integrated that into his story. And um, I think that the reason the Da Vinci Code, one of the reasons at least the Da Vinci Code became so popular is it because is because it used the theory that Mary Magdalene was like an apostle and also married to Jesus and that they had descendants. Because that would have a lot of implications for Christianity and um, would, you know, play a lot into what they believe and um, what, you know, a lot of people around the world believe. And so it would have had a lot of impact that way. And I think that's one of the things it was, is very, one of the reasons it was very controversial. It was very controversial. The movie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When it came out, so the very first exposure I actually had to it, I hadn't read the book, but I knew of the book. And I saw a documentary. I was walking around at Walmart, I think, and I saw a documentary on it, and it was like behind the Da Vinci Code. And so it was a documentary explaining everything. So I actually watched that. I watched a ton of documentaries before I ever actually read that story because it already had a bunch of research into it um before that and it was kind of integrating that into its story okay. so people use the da vinci code itself as kind of like a not a proxy but kind of a proxy for just attacking that theory okay. that that jesus was married and had children yeah and that's why it's really controversial that really adds a lot to the controversy was was the the opposite side of that the story behind it wasn't it that mary magdalene was um like with other people and like romantically, yes. No, no, huh? no, no, no. So the way this the, the way the story goes is that um, in the part of it where it actually um, looks at historical context is there were some parchments that were found. I don't want to say the Dead Sea Scrolls, but there were some parchments that were found that had alleged books of the Bible that were not included in the canonical text. So yeah. the the uh, what 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 the theory here would be that the Catholic Church decided they didn't want these books in the Bible when they decided that, I believe, at the Nicene Council. We're talking like way back in like 300 AD. And so they decided they didn't want these as books of the Bible, and that one of those was the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and that it included information about her being an apostle, being one of the actual, you know, people who one of the disciples who went around with Jesus everywhere and helped teach and was, you know, basically one of the leaders of the group who then went on to establish the, the, the Catholic and Christian churches after that. And um, in some of those texts, it talks about him and her and how he was, or rather she was his favorite apostle. And one of the lines is actually that, uh, I believe that they say, and he was, and she was his favorite apostle, and he would often kiss her on the, and then there's literally a hole in the parchment, and so it doesn't say the next thing. Not that it really matters, like where she would be kissing him, like oh, on the forehead, on the lips, like it doesn't really matter all that much. I mean, I guess it could if it was maybe part of like a religious ceremony or something, but the context almost seems like it's not. And so, but it, it, there's a hole in the parchment that says that. And so they actually use that line in the Da Vinci Code. Ian McKellen says that as part of his evidence for proving the whole bloodline thing. But the way they, they do it in that is that um, Ian McKellen says, like, he's saying that line. And then he, he gets to that part and he goes, and he would often kiss her on the... And then Tom Hanks interrupts him, and he mm. doesn't finish the sentence because <laughs> they can't actually finish the sentence because right. they, they don't know what it says. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty clever how that they is. they tied that that little piece of evidence into it. So um, that's 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 basically what the Da Vinci Code is. It never purported to be anything true. It never said it was true or anything in it. 
Um, although I do believe at the beginning there was something that um, claimed that a lot of the stuff was based on his actual historical events. Not like, a, hey, all these things are real, but like, oh, you know, I, Dan Brown, the author, used, used um, historical events as a basis for some of this stuff. And while this didn't happen, there are things in it that are true. And I'm assuming it was like maybe encouraging people to do more research onto it. Okay. So that's the Da Vinci Code. Now, the the Da Vinci Code itself, as a story, borrowed from a book that was released in the 80s called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. And that was the first book that was written and put forth that theory. Because that the Da Vinci Code made that theory that uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary Jesus popular, but this book already had existed before that. And it was a New York Times bestseller. It was a really big book. But I think the Da Vinci Code kind of spread the idea farther. But, you know, a lot more people who maybe wouldn't read something that's a New York Times bestseller mm -hmm. now had that idea. But it was in the 80s talked about before, even to the point where the authors of Holy Blood, Holy Grail sued Dan Brown and said that wow. you, you stole from us and you took our intellectual property on this book and made it part of your story. I don't believe they were successful in their court case, but they did actually, two of them did, not Henry Lincoln, but... Um, Michael Bajent and the other co-author whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. They did sue him. So, um, and when we start to look at Holy Blood, Holy Grail, that's where you get into the meat of it and start to see what that was based off of, what inspired the story, what the origins of it are, and where this actually leads to, and then how that stuff was integrated into the Da Vinci Code. So that's the basics of it. That's, that's just to give a very, very entry-level view and explain the Da Vinci Code and what that is as a story. It's just a fictional story. It doesn't claim to be anything uh, on its surface um, that is true, but it uses elements of stories that do claim they're true in order to make it an exciting story. So uh, we'll jump into that. We're going to take a quick break here, um, and when we come back, we'll jump into explaining the story that the Da Vinci Code is based off of and where it gets its roots. Um, but for now, KXRW would like to thank our friends at New Vansterdam for supporting our radio community. New Vansterdam is the premier cannabis market in the Vancouver area. They carry a variety of cannabis products ranging from pre-rolls, vape cartridges and edibles, to CBD topicals, oils and tinctures. New Vansterdam is located in the Heights Shopping Center on the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen Road. Open 8am to 11pm, 365 days a year. More information available at newvansterdam.com. That's newvansterdam.com. KXRW Community Radio wants to thank our friends and sponsors at Boomerang Therapy Works, where exercise is medicine. At Boomerang, they offer a variety of one-on-one -on -one treatment options that can be tailored to your health and wellness. They offer physical therapy, massage therapy, personal trainers, exercise programs, group classes, and specialize in customized Parkinson's treatments. Located in downtown Vancouver, more info available at boomerangtherapyworks.com, where exercise is medicine. 
All right, welcome back. You're listening to Chasing Shadows on KXRW. We are talking about the Divinci Code today and looking at whether or not it is uh, how, I guess, how based in truth the DaVinci Code is. And um, it's kind of hard to wade through some of the background info on it and see what's, uh, what's worth believing and what's not, um, especially given it's a fictional story. But because it stirred so much controversy, so much controversy, you know, we wanted to bring it up. And, and then I personally have done a lot of research into the story behind it. So we wanted to bring that into it, too. So, so that's what we're talking about today. Um, so... The Da Vinci Code was released, I think, in the early 2000s or so, and the movie was maybe like 2005, 2006, which yeah. makes it a pretty old movie. That's like a 13-year-old movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, one of the things they, they you know, besides the, the idea of uh, Mary Magdalene marrying Jesus, one of the things they brought forward is the concept that the Holy Grail isn't what people uh, typically believe it as, which is the cup that held the blood of Christ at the crucifixion, but that instead it was actually like the bloodline of the descendants of Jesus Christ. And so that was kind of uh, one of the things they put forward too. And that was really interesting because it challenged the, the Holy Grail as a cup theory, which you know in movies and TV was like the main way that they um, had the Holy Grail uh, portrayed. And it's kind of a it's a topic that comes up not as much as a lot of other ones, but you know a lot of treasure hunt movies kind of have that Holy Grail feel. If you guys were going to talk about like a like a Holy Grail movie or a Holy Grail TV show, what would you guys think of? What, what pops into your mind first when you say Holy Grail? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, see, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes, it is great, and that has that has the Holy Grail as a cup. Yeah, that's the you know, I mean, it's Spielberg, so it's just going to be kind of paint by numbers as far as, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's you know, it's great. Yeah, and right. so yeah, it's you know, the typical cup, uh, but that's first for me. Holy Grail, Robert. What about you? Do you have uh, any media that comes to mind at all? Honestly, the the first thing I think of is, is just a picture I saw when I was younger sure. of like a golden chalice it was uh-huh. huge like yeah in comparison to like a, a cup there or like a wine glass that right right like today. it's a goblet style yeah, like goblet. ornate it's huge, it fits in your in the palm of your yeah. hand um but golden covered in, sure. in, in different colors stones like mm-hmm. blue red some some diamonds sure just the idea of that majestic cup exactly and it's funny because indiana jones kind of took on that concept like that was their twist yeah was yeah it, he was a carpenter so it's a simple cup right and exactly the, the ones with the, the jewels and rubies cup. fooled you yeah yeah, yeah. dr elsa yeah <laughs> she didn't know she oh i think she <laughs> she didn't know i yeah. i saw something the other day yeah, that i think she i think the debate is still on eric, eric and i have had a long-running uh, debate about whether or not dr elsa knew or didn't know that she was giving the german guy or whoever was with him the bad guy the wrong cup and I, I don't know. I'm still. I think I'm backed up in the air on she it. So know. anyway, anyway. So <laughs> there's the Indiana Jones, um, like National Treasure though. National Treasure, yeah. the whole back yeah. of the Declaration of Independence thing. Uh-huh. That's t- kind of technically the same story because they they did the whole you know the Masons ha- hid it over time. That's kind of the same story of like the Knights Templar hiding the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. And I think that like to me the National Treasure movie kind of is almost more family-friendly version of the da vinci code they came out around same time they're both very like treasure hunt movies and both kind of have that like you know treasure passed on through history theme to them and those were very very similar i thought um you know even like sahara that wasn't the same treasure but those were the kind of uh, treasure hunt movies that were coming around around that same time mummy the Mummy, yes, the Mummy was yeah, a good one too. Treasure Hunt movies have their run, mm-hmm. and it's the Mummy's back cool. too. The Mummy, yeah, 
re re redid that one with Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, it failed already. Yeah, I love I love the good the the mummies. The original mummies yeah. were great. Um, but those those did a good job of keeping it focused on Egyptian. Doesn't really right. have a holy grail sure. side of it. King Arthur, King Arthur's big. Um, a lot of people think of like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because a lot of the Arthurian legends involve the Holy Grail, and so that is a big one as well, is uh, involving King Arthur with that. So you can't discount that when talking with the Holy Grail. But um, I would say that uh, Holy, uh, you know, like a lot of things in Da Vinci Code, Holy Blood, Holy Grail really was the first to do it in uh, in a book form and, and challenging the idea of the Holy Grail being a cup and was instead a bloodline uh, descendant from Jesus Christ. And um, it, it, it was, is quite a bit different than the story of the Da Vinci Code. So the Da Vinci Co- Code took like little elements, even of like names and stuff. Yeah. from the original and integrated it into characters from the movie. And that's some of the ways they called back to how it actually happened because this story and what the Da Vinci Code is based off of is kind of one of... We, we talk about cultural legends. We talk about Loch Ness and Bigfoot context. This is almost one of the cultural legends for a, a, a place that uh, is a small town, like a small village, I guess, really, in southern France. And a legend that has been going on for a, at least... 100 years there from when it first started, um, but really much longer than that in terms of the context of how it was found 100 years ago or a little over 100 years ago. And so the the way that the Da Vinci Code alludes to that is one of the main characters. In fact, the guy who's murdered at the beginning of the movie, his name is Jack Sonier. And he is, I want to say, um, the head curator of the Louvre or a very similar title. He, he's the head guy there. And his name is Jack Sonier. So the original legend of the Da Vinci Code or the original story that it was based off of invo- involves a priest. And this priest's name was Baron Jasonier. Mm. And the story starts in Rennes-le-Chateau, small village in southern France in the late 1800s, around the 1890s. And the way it's told uh, in Holy Blood, Holy Grail and some of the media before that, because there were a couple documentaries before that, but from one of the authors of that book. But the way the story is told is that Berenger Saunier was assigned to this church in southern France, and he was in charge of some renovations that were happening. And during one of these reservations, they moved the altar in the church, and in that altar, they found two parchments. And each of those parchment, parchments had a Bible passage in Latin, but were written in a very obscure and unique way mm-hmm. that looked like it wasn't just writing. It, it almost looked like there were some symbols over here, and it looked like, if you had seen it, that it was jumbled up, or maybe there was something else going on with it. And as the legend goes, those were coded messages. Mm-hmm. And if you were able to decode those messages, they would lead you to something in the area that was very important. So that's where it started is within the late 1890s with that priest. Now, historically, that priest, you know, if you go to the village and look at the property that the church is on, after that allegedly happened, he starts having quite an increase in income. He's able to build a really nice regal tower overlooking the landscape of the area because it's a really pretty, really scenic area. So he's able to build a tower. He named the tower the Tour Magdala after Mary Magdalene. Mm. Um, 
obviously starting to allude to some of the connections with the Da Vinci Code and the Bloodline Theory. Um, He built a really nice house for him and his, I don't want to say servant because she wasn't a servant, but him and the lady who worked for him, he built a really nice house called the Villa Batania, where it was um, more, it was a much bigger and nicer house than somebody at his position in that village would likely have. You know, it was almost, I don't want to say like mansion-like, but relative to the other places in the village and relative to other priests who were just like him, was way over the top for what he would be able to have making the money he was supposed to be making in the priesthood. So it seemed like he was uh, making money from something. And part of that legend is that he traveled to Paris to talk to one of his friends about the parchments and to help them decode it, and that they were able to decode it, and that while he was in Paris, he looked at three paintings. One of them was a painting by David Tenuers the Younger, and it was a version of Temptation of St. Anthony, which there are many versions of. One of the paintings was The Shepherds of Arcadia by Nicolas Poussin, a French artist during the Renaissance period in the 1600s, and then another was a portrait of Pope Clement V. And supposedly those three paintings had something to do with the parchments that he had uh, allegedly decoded. And so he goes back and that's when he starts making more money and, and, and all that happens. And um, it gets to the, he gets to the end of his life and nothing's ever been released or anything, but there's reports of him wandering the countryside at night, looking for things, just kind of odd things that happen in the area. And then, um, you know, it, it gets to the end of his life and he's on his deathbed and he calls for somebody, I think a, a priest at a local church, I believe is the person he calls in and makes a deathbed confession. And that, that priest came out just completely, you know, completely, uh, like white faced where like all the blood ran from his face. He just completely looked completely shocked. Like he had been told something that was a huge mystery. And so, um, and then he, then the priest died and, um, the housekeeper, you know, took over the house there and the church continued to exist in the area. And it wasn't until the 1960s where, because that, I mean, we're talking like the early 1900s for when all that was going on. It wasn't until the 1960s where it started getting a lot more popular. And that's where Henry Lincoln comes onto the scene. And he's, Henry Lincoln is probably the person who is the most responsible for bringing Renaud Chateau and the bloodline theory out into the public. And he was an actor and writer at the time. He worked for the BBC. He did some old stuff back in the day. And he was vacationing in southern France near Renault Chateau. And he came upon a book that talked about the history of it. And in that book was part, partially um, – well, uh, actually, the book was mostly about this this supposed treasure that Berenger Sonia found. So the book was written, I believe, by Philip de Cherisy was his name. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but Philip de Cherisy. And it was called Le Treasure Maudite which uh, the accursed treasure would be the the um, translation for that. So uh, Henry Lincoln picked it up and read it while he was on vacation and immediately fell in love with it and, and uh, went back and reread it. And they had the two parchments that were allegedly found by the priest. So Henry Lincoln in the 1960s is looking at this book and he's looking at this parchments and he sees something in the parchments and he notices that there is a certain amount of letters in them that are lower than all of the letters in the rest for each of the line they're on are lower than the other ones. So he goes and, you know, takes out all the ones that are lowered and finds that there's actually a message. If you exclude all of those letters, if you take them all out and put them together in the order they were in, there's a message. And that message was roughly not exactly, but it was roughly to Dagobert. The second belongs the treasure and he is there dead. 
And so as soon as he saw that, he thought, well, wait a second, that's crazy. Like that that's a message right there. That's something beyond what it, what was in there. The author must know about this. The author has to know about this. This is too blaringly obvious for or excuse me, this is too glaringly obvious for not nobody else to have noticed. So Henry Lincoln actually contacted the author. And the author said, well, we left that in there for people to find for themselves. And kind of intrigued Henry Lincoln a little bit more to kind of encourage him to go on and do his own thing and do a little more research. So that's when Henry Lincoln got onto the scene. From there, he did a ton of research into it. He He's the one who I think Henry Lincoln is the most important to the story and to the research of Renle Chateau. Um, he, from there, he made a few documentaries for the BBC. Shadows of the Templar, I believe, is one. And I, I don't remember the name of the other two off the top of my head, but he did some stuff then. And then he wrote Holy Blood, Holy Grail. And so th that's why he was so into it. That's where he came from on the uh, Da Vinci Code and uh, the background of it. Um, once we get to that point, there's not much going on until the author of the book then contacts him and says, hey, look, we've actually got, a, uh, we've got these parchments decoded. And we're going to tell you what these parchments actually say and how they're decoded. And so he, this is, I believe, before Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and he he uh, sends over the information to Henry Lincoln, and it says these parchments are decoded, and that's where we get our main riddle, our main riddle that exists from the Renle Chateau and the whole Bloodline mystery, and it is it, it's like classic treasure hunt type of riddle, like the Da Vinci Code had a ton of these where it was you know you know. Like, you could interpret it a bunch of different ways, but it was like riddles that led him to Isaac Newton's tomb or, you know, um, to this church over here in Scotland that you had to go where you'd find information. So that's kind of where the inspiration for those came from in real life is that Henry Lincoln actually had these decoded messages or these decoded parchments that allegedly these priests found. And so the riddle on the uh, parchments went as follows. Um, and it's kind of just like, I don't know. There's there's not much there's not much definition to it, but the riddle goes: um, Shepherdess, no temptation. That Poussin Tenier hold the key. Peace six eight one by the cross and this horse of God. I destroy this demon guardian at noon. Blue apples. And that was the message from the decoded parchment. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's interesting. Yeah, wow. totally. Okay. Um, it's just like, it seems just like a, a bunch of words, right. you know, a, a, a gibberish amount of words, but that's supposed to be the riddle that leads you to hmm. the treasure at Renle Chateau. And, um, that's, that's where the Da Vinci Code took its inspiration and all of its little riddles and, and stuff that, that it's based off of. And even from there, it's further inspiration for the Da Vinci Code too, because the Da Vinci Code is like, hey, Da Vinci is involved in putting these messages about um, the bloodline of Jesus Christ in his paintings. Well, that's where this came from too, because in that riddle, it mentions two artists, Nicholas Poussin and David Teniers, the younger. And well, it just says David Teniers, but it's assumed right. that it's David Teniers, the younger. So um, that's, that's kind of the background of where the Da Vinci Code got its inspiration from. Um, the the books, and specifically Henry Lincoln, um, was the main driver for all of these theories in this mystery, and he worked on this forever. 
Uh, he's still alive doing tours at Rennes mm. Chateau. Yeah, if you pay enough, you can go do you know an excursion with him, and he'll do a tour around Rennes Chateau and show you places in the area. But that's that's really the rundown of uh, the the full rundown of like what what the Da Vinci Code based itself off of is this little little village in southern France that uh, had a legend of a priest finding these coded parchments and those coded parchments mentioned artists and um, opens up from there. So that is just like that's that's very much just brushing the surface yeah. of the Rennes Chateau topic of the bloodline topic. Yeah, for sure. Um, there is a lot to it. That is really just the foundation. And honestly, that's just the legend. I don't believe a lot of that's really true. Yeah. And I believe a lot of it, a lot of what Henry Lincoln did was driven by Philip Cherisey, the, the original author of The Accursed Treasure. And I feel like he was kind of trying to play a game with Henry Lincoln and say, here's these coded messages. But those parchments don't actually seem to exist. Those two parchments that 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 had the coded message on them, so far as I know, there's not they they don't actually exist anywhere. Now there's been people who've done documentaries. Um, Bruce Burgess did a documentary called Bloodline on the topic, and he I believe interviewed somebody on his documentary that claimed they had those, but I don't think anything's ever been verified. And so even those seem to be a creation of uh, Philip de Cherisey, and. Um, don't hold much weight other than to point to this area of Southern France mm. and to point at these specific painters. And on top of that, there's a, there's a couple callbacks actually in the Da Vinci code. Um, in the book at one point, they say that the, uh, the guy who runs the Louvre, Jacques Saunier, that his, his favorite artist was Da Vinci, but his second favorite, favorite artist was Poussin. Hmm. And they do that as kind of a call out to that that Poussin's yeah. the 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 artist who was mentioned in the original riddle. So that's the that's kind of the the background of Renle Chateau and the Renle Chateau legend of Baron J. Saunier and the priest. Um, like I said, just really brushing the surface on the topic. Um, but that's just to give an idea of some of that history and where that came from. So uh, we're gonna take a quick break on that, take a little uh, breather after that one, and uh, when we come back. Uh, we will get into the topic a little bit more and uh, talk about whether or not we're just chasing shadows on Da Vinci himself and if he has any actual connections um, to the story of what's going on in southern France. Uh, but now you're listening to Chasing Shadows on KXRW. Radio like this is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics, Clark County's local print shop since 1993. ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at ADCO1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. Many thanks to our friends at Say Chow Catering, Columbia River Tap Room and Eatery. Chef Peter has been cooking for over 20 years in the Vancouver area. Private events including wine tasting, wine dinner, appetizer parties, and cooking demos. Say Chow Tap Room and Eatery boast space for private events or drop in for a quick refreshment. 
and live music on Thursday and Friday evenings. Just a stone's throw away from the Columbia River, Say Chow, Greater Vancouver's premier catering company. Conveniently located at 2501 Southeast Columbia Way, Suite 270 in Vancouver. More information available at www.saychow.com. That's www.say-chow.com or directly at 360-210-5522. Welcome back to Chasing Shadows. We are talking about the Divinci Show today and kind of what inspired it, the stories behind it, and whether or not there's any good evidence for uh, hidden images inside Da Vinci's paintings. So uh, on the last segment, we kind of talked about the like hi- the history of the Da Vinci Code and what inspired the story, kind of what what brought it out into the public light. But the Da Vinci Code itself, and what we're asking today is Leonardo Da Vinci: Did he put anything in his uh, paintings? And the the Da Vinci Code movie. So if we were talking about this. He, Robert, you saw part of the Da Vinci Code. Eric, you've seen the Da Vinci Code. What yeah. were your main takeaways from the Da Vinci part of it? Like, just, just as somebody who's seen the movie, what would you remember as the the hints and clues from the Da Vinci Code and Da Vinci's paintings? Yeah, honestly, the only thing I can remember is the um, Invisible Ink on the Mona Lisa. Oh, right, That's, right. I can't even yeah, remember. Yeah. And that was kind of um, a big a big lead into the mystery. Like, oh, you're you're it's on the Mona Lisa. You had He had that uh, anagram he had to find out. Oh, Draconian right. Devil, only yeah. I'm saying... That was about it. Um, yeah. I just I do remember the Last Supper being part of it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's yeah. about as far as I can remember. Right, right. Yeah, right. That was what I was going to say. Actually, yeah. is the Last Supper mm-hmm. and the way that the the drawings, or sorry, that the people were painted. Sure. Um, Mary Magdalene having the hand of the person on her shoulder, and well, even she, just at all that it's Mary Magdalene. Yeah, that she's in it. Yeah, see, it's it's typically thought that that's John the Baptist okay. sitting next to Jesus. But the the point of the Da Vinci Code that they make is that like John the Baptist kind of has some feminine traits, and it might actually be Mary Magdalene and not I said John the Baptist, not John the Baptist, uh, but um, John the disciple. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the other thing was being the. Um, the what did they the call v. It? The, the v the point the v right so so the point about that was that uh, the negative space in between those two characters kind of generally creates a v shape mm-hmm. where if you you know the whole movie is about symbology and and the meaning behind things and what the point was about that was that if you take like a, a triangle the two parts of a triangle kind of like a, if you think of a military rank patch or something mm-hmm. Um, that that would be the phallus, and a V would be like a womb kind of thing, Mm -hmm. and um, that was what was the grail, and that in having those two characters, the negative space between the two create a V, it was representing... The, the chalice? The chalice, and and allegedly alluding to the fact that that was also, that that the character sitting next to Jesus was the Holy Grail. Okay. So, and I think one of the things they did, too, was kind of like, hey, yeah, here's our idea of the Holy Grail. Leonardo da Vinci would have had that idea of the Holy Grail, too. Where's the Holy Grail at the Last Supper? It was supposed to be there, because if you look at the Last Supper, there isn't a cup yeah. that, that would kind of be the Holy Grail. They actually broke down that picture into... Like, let's take these few people and split them up and try and put them into different positions on the painting. Yes. Uh, yeah, with the dagger. One of the ones was the dagger that you see as someone kind of doing that. They kind of move stuff around. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really interesting. And I mean, look, Leonardo da Vinci was a genius. There's no questions about that. And there are some interesting things about The Last Supper. What I One of the things I found is how the, like, the, the roof tiles and the windows and all of the things in the image itself kind of diagonally point you in. They're all at different 
different ways to kind of draw your focus into the central character of Jesus in that painting. Like there's very subtle things that happen in that that um, are very interesting. But um, yeah, if you if you go back and look at the whole painting, because it's actually a, a rather large painting, mm-hmm. if you go back and look at the whole thing, it kind of like points to the face of him. And so it was very, very, very specifically drawn. It was very, very calculated. Leonardo da Vinci was a genius. I don't doubt that that's what he did. So the, those those things we were just talking about, I mean, that that is what the Da Vinci Code uses as like, oh, Leonardo da Vinci was part of this whole thing and he had coded images in his paintings and that's what it is like that's it that's the the stuff from the da vinci code that that uh, talks about what da vinci had in his paintings that's that's there's really that's it there's really not much more than that and when you get down to the meat of it like oh what's the stuff that that this movie and book claims that he did what's the stuff that uh, the other people have because that's not from holy blood holy grail um, but uh, what's some of this other stuff that people have done too? But but the, really the meat of it is that Da Vinci using the Last Supper showed that uh, Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus, but in a very 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 hard to find way. I, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I don't particularly think that that is anything concrete by any means at all. And th- that, I, I just mentioned that that's not from Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Th- those um, ideas of symbolism are from a more recent book called The Templar Revelation. And that was by Lynn Picknett and Clive Prince. I, I believe those are the correct, way, the correct names for that, those authors. But they, they are the actual two who uh, hypothesized that Da Vinci knew about this. Da Vinci was part of it, and he put these images in his paintings. They talk about other paintings, I believe, in the Templar Revelation. Revelation, but not the Da Vinci Code, so they go into it more for that. But that being said, I, I'm not a huge fan of um, Picnet and Prince's research. I, I don't particularly think that the the stuff that they put forward was great. Although you know Dan Brown found it good enough to include as part of his um, novel because it was suspenseful. It added to the suspense and how they found out. It was a good moment for for Ian McKellen's character T Bring or T Bing to reveal that information to them. Like, hey, let's look at these iconic paintings and I'll use these to show them. So to me, it's almost like Dan Brown kind of picked and chose what fit well for the story. And that was one of those things that happens to work and adds to the title of it being the Da Vinci Code and the whole, you know, Da Vinci was part of this whole thing. So that that's the ties there. That's, that's the actual meat of what's in the Da Vinci Code uh, in terms of, hidden messages in Da Vinci's art. Now, those, those aren't the only people who believe that there's hidden messages in, in Da Vinci's art. That's certainly the most prominent, probably because of Da Vinci Code mainly. They were actually in Da Vinci Code. They, they had a cameo, those two, um, Lynn and, and Clive. They, they, they were in the Da Vinci Code. Uh, there's a scene where they're going to Isaac Newton's tomb to try and solve the riddle um, to help him get into the cryptex and they get on the bus and they're just sitting on the bus. <laughs> so if you recognize them, it's like a little, it's like a little D- Da Vinci yeah. Code, Holy Grail or in the Chateau uh, Easter egg for, for the people who watched that movie and knew them. So that was kind of cool, but they show up in, you know, history channel documentaries mm-hmm. and stuff on the topic all the time. They're, they're pretty well known in the community. Um, I, I've uh, never reached out to them or worked with them on anything, but uh, you know, that's their stuff. It's mostly, mostly, I, I'm sure that they do a lot more in, in their books. They go into a lot more, but, that's what they was used for the Da Vinci Code from them. Um, the other stuff that th- there is one more tie of Leonardo da Vinci to this whole mystery, this whole Renault Chateau thing, and that is through an organization called the Priory of Sion. 
And obviously, that's a very, very big part of the Da Vinci Code as well, that there was a prior scion, a secret society um, who was in charge of keeping this information and keeping it safe, keeping it hidden, and making sure that it is not destroyed um, and that uh, at the right, in the movie at least, at the right time, the information will be released. So that is back to Holy Blood, Holy Grail. I believe Holy Blood, Holy Grail does talk about the prior scion, and that's when they get into the historical side of things. And then that's where we get the, the interse intersecting um, stories between like the Knights Templar and the Freemasons and the prior scion, because those are kind of interchangeable in these types of movies and stories about treasure hunts. And as the legend goes in this one, then they describe this in the, in the Da Vinci Code. Tom Hanks has his little storytelling moment in the park where he describes the history of the Knights Templar, who were a very real organization. The Knights Templar totally existed. Um, and then we've talked about like Assassin's Creed in the past yeah. on the show, using them as, as a character in the video game. The Knights Templar are a well-established, very historical organization. They're very well-known, and including their demise. The demise is very well-known as well because they were hunted down and killed as heretics by the Catholic Church. And so that kind of adds to the whole Da Vinci Code story of, you know, the Catholic Church was trying to suppress this information about Jesus' bloodline. They were crucified as well, weren't they? They, I I would imagine some of them might have been crucified. I don't, don't know that for sure. Okay. The most famous story of them being killed is their leader, Jack de Molay. It was, I want to say, like, the early 1300s is when this all went down, but he was burned at the stake. And that was one of the early, it was like one of the first Friday the 13th, one of the first um, attachments That's of right. Friday the 13th as like a superstitious thing okay. was because they killed him on that day. So um, Jack de Molay was the head of the Templars at the time and he was burned at the stake. So I believe it was probably more likely that they were burned at the stake than crucified okay. for most of them. Yeah. Because it was also at the time where they had the Inquisition going and there was a lot of that type of like wit burning witches at the stake and that stuff. The Da Vinci Code mentions the Malaeus Malficarum and part of the themes in terms of like the Da Vinci Code did a really good job of like putting forward the sacred feminine, the ideas of the sacred feminine and how you know, the Catholic Church was historically a very patriarchal um, organization yeah. and how they were trying to suppress that information. Okay. So that's kind of, it goes back to the Templars, and then the thought is that the Templars over time evolved into an organization called the Prior Scion that stopped being public because they were all killed in the 1300s by the Catholic Church and started acting as a secret society. And that that priory had its own rankings and its own, you know, ways of operating that were mostly hidden. And then they went through the ages and then, you know, we got to now. And in the movie, they exist. They're helpful and they show up at the end to kind of help um, the character of Sophie Neva at the end kind of come to terms with her lineage and say, hey, we're here to help you. We're, we're part of the priory. So the real uh, history of that, th that is kind of based in reality, too, in that there are people who claim to be part of the prior of science today and that is the other where we find the other tie to leonardo da vinci in this whole case is because the the group who calls themselves the prior of scion um put some documents into the french national library and those were found i believe by henry lincoln when he was doing research for holy blood holy grail and in those documents, they list a history of their grandmasters and the people who were part of this. Not, not people who were part of the organization, but just the grandmasters. And on that list of grandmasters, you find Leonardo da Vinci. Hmm. So that's the other big connection to like the Da Vinci Code or the Priory of Scion is you know, you know, the movie puts 
the idea forward that he put some hidden messages in his paintings. But in real life, the other connection was that the prior of Scion documents say that he was a grandmaster to them. Like he actually was a leader of this organization in the past. So that's the other connection to Da Vinci himself. So that's, that's what we're working with. There are little other things that are pretty obscure that I could go into, but they're really, really like there, there are people who claim that Da Vinci has some uh, hidden message in his paintings, but I, 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 th those are the main ones that, that tie to the Da Vinci Code, and I don't see a lot of other ones that, you know, I think uh, uh, during the time where people were painting in the Renaissance, that there was a very much, there was very much a focus on religion and making sure that you weren't being heretical. And so that if they wanted to paint something that the church didn't like, they had to do it in a secretive way. So there is a precedent for those types of things being done in paintings, but it's usually more symbolic or metaphorical and not necessarily putting in a code like these people right. think. So that's, that's where the ties to Da Vinci are um, from the actual, you know, if you wade through and try and figure out from the movie, like where are there actually ties to Leonardo Da Vinci and what they claim? And that's what we got. We've got the French National Library documents, and we've got the people claiming that he put hidden messages in his art. So that's what we're working with. Um, that's, I think, the, the evidence we've got so far for it. There's a little bit more to it with other artists. And so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about those just a little bit. Um, because those are some, some interesting things and things that are, uh, I guess, for me, pretty personal. And things I've put a lot of time and effort into that... I hope it may be something someday, but likely likely aren't. And uh, I think my views have changed since I started looking into it, um, partially because of the, the show and the, the viewpoints we take on it. But um, we'll talk about that a little bit after the break. You're listening to Chasing Shadows on KXRW would like to thank our friends at New Vansterdam for supporting our radio community. New Vansterdam is the premier cannabis market in the Vancouver area. They carry a variety of cannabis products ranging from pre-rolls, vape cartridges and edibles, to CBD topicals, oils and tinctures. New Vansterdam is located in the Heights Shopping Center on the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen Road. Open 8am to 11pm, 365 days a year. More information available at newvansterdam.com. That's newvansterdam.com. KXRW Vancouver is proud to partner with the Ridgefield Raptors during their inaugural season, bringing college summer wood bat baseball to beautiful Southwest Washington. Single game tickets on sale now. To find out more information or to view pictures of the brand new Ridgefield Outdoor Recreation Complex, please visit the Raptors website at ridgefieldraptors.com. That's ridgefieldraptors.com. Welcome back to Chasing Shadows. We are discussing the Da Vinci Code today and some of the stuff it's based off of and the stories behind it and, and where it gets some of its mystery and intrigue and historical context. So um, some of the more recent looks into it, uh, I mentioned earlier a documentary called Bloodline. It's just called Bloodline by Bruce Burgess. And uh, that was a documentary. That was that was a really interesting one because it was kind of half and half. He talked about the history of Renle Chateau, but then there was also somebody um, that he introduced who went by the name of Ben Hammett, which was an anagram for the tomb man. 
And it was obvious that the guy was using a fake name because of that. And he had a website up and stuff. And he, he claimed that he thinks he found the, the body of Mary Magdalene in the area. And so Bloodline is, is kind of giving a history of the area. But then the other half is looking into Ben Hammond's research, his finds, his clues that he's found and the things he's doing to go about it. And then verifying his claims and the artifacts he's found as well, which the documentary seems to do. They go to a lot of experts and have things looked at and they say, yeah, this looks pretty good. This looks pretty legit. But um, one thing that ended up happening with that movie, and this is something that ended up um, having a little bit of impact on me personally, was that uh, Ben Hammett ended up um, we ended up being tied to a hoax in the past. Oh. And we've talked about Loch Ness on this show before, right? In our Loch Ness episode, we found that yeah. this, we didn't really see any good evidence for Loch Ness Monster existing. Well, this guy who went by Ben Hammett in the past, he tried to, to pull off a Loch Ness hoax. Apparently, he had been trying to make some pictures or something to that effect. But somebody recognized him, an old picture of him at Loch Ness, and, and that, that he was hoaxing something, and then came over to the, the Renault Chateau research community and said, this guy's a fake, this guy's a fraud, he's obviously trying to hoax stuff. Which was kind of funny, because at the time, Ben Hammett was starting to talk about, oh, I'm looking for the Ark of the Covenant, I might find that kind of thing. Really some big claims. Mm-hmm. So that was all just completely different doused it was he was he admitted what had happened and apologized for everything he did which completely derailed bruce's uh, documentary bloodline i mean half of the movie was focusing on that and it was all a hoax all completely a hoax so which is the case with a lot of these types of things so um just to touch on it just a little bit before we finish the episode uh, we talked about the stuff in the Da Vinci paintings. Um, we did talk about the Baron J. Saunier riddle, and it mentions two other artists, Nicholas Poussin and David Teniers. There are quite a few, I don't want to say quite a few people, there are people who re- research this topic who believe that at least Nicholas Poussin um, painted some hidden images or uh, hidden symbolism or did things very specifically in his paintings in order to point to a specific area uh, near Rennes Chateau. And in the past, I have been part of that group. I would probably call myself part of that group now and uh, have spent many hours of my life looking at the paintings of Nicholas Poussin. And uh, while they're interesting, to say the least, I'm, I have uh, unconvinced myself that they're, they're hard evidence of anything being there. But I have found some very interesting connections and things that look like they may have been done intentionally that, that, that do relate to the case. So I know that uh, very specifically Henry Lincoln does theorize that uh, the land- landscape background in Shepherds of Arcadia is an actual background in Renle Chateau and that the tomb pictured in that painting did actually exist. And there are some interesting stories he has about that and how that was destroyed while he was filming one of his documentaries in the area. So uh, that's that's uh, our look at the Da Vinci Code today, guys. That's our first Holy Grail episode. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, where, where are you at with it right now? I, I, do you feel like Da Vinci put anything in his paintings to send messages to people that could figure it out? I would have said no uh, right away until you mentioned the Priory of Sion. Or what is it? Yeah, the Priory of Sion. Yeah, yeah, the Priory of Sion. That yeah. he was a uh, documented grandmaster. As... I would have said I would have said no until you said that. And then See, but it's only that them who say it. There's no good documentation other than that. It doesn't. It's not like he had anything in his notes or anything like that indicating it. It was the prior of Sion who do, who are made those claims, but there is that other connection. Okay. That's just and that's that's okay. you know we try and take a real good look at the show and like good evidence. I don't consider that good evidence at this point. Beyond that, 
there are other things involved with the Prior of Sion. We can do an entire episode on the Prior of Sion. Yeah. And people who claim to be part of that group now, we could we could go real deep on that. And there are people who claim to be part of the Prior of Sion now. And, you know, I, I see a lot of talk about the Illuminati and yeah. secret societies and stuff like that. And I just, the stuff that I see about the people who claim to be in the Prior of Sion, I just think, like, how can people who are interested or believe in the Illuminati at all not be looking at this group, too? Because they're... At the very least, there are people who claim to be the the modern day prior of Sion, and claim that they ha- you know are sitting on some pretty important information, and um, you know whether or not they can back that up is to be seen. But that's that's kind of my, my take on it, and where I think that the 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 uh, research that at least I'm going to spend time doing is going to focus on. Yeah. So cool. So I think that's it, guys. I think uh, for this episode, we're going to say that we're uh, on the Da Vinci Code. With uh, Leonardo da Vinci putting in images and codes into his paintings to leave messages and puzzles behind, we are just chasing shadows. There is, that we can see, no uh, da Vinci code. And even in the movie itself, there's not really a da Vinci code. That uh, they're just uh, using the location of the paintings in the museum and the uh, symbolism in some of his paintings to explain what they're looking for. So even within the movie itself, there's not not a ton to go off of. So that's where we're at for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Um, thanks, thanks for investigating with us today. Some thanks. of our uh, upcoming topics, we're gonna we're gonna uh, get back with Big River Paranormal and uh, do a haunt site investigation with them. So that's gonna be one of our upcoming topics. I want to give a uh, shout out to our producer Bree. Give her thanks uh, for the work she does behind the scenes on, uh, on doing stuff. Thanks everybody for listening. This has been Chasing Shadows.